once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What do you fear most when seeking God's will? For some, it's that God has something planned for them that they really won't like. To be sure, the Bible doesn't promise his ways will be painless or easy, but it does promise that his ways are good. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series, Hearing God in a Noisy World, with the last part of the message entitled, Guidelines to Guidance. Thank you for joining us today. Hard to believe it's been uh, eight messages in this series, and here we are at the very end of it. You're new with us. We've been talking about how do you hear God in the midst of a noisy world? How do you do that? That eight weeks ago, I remember I asked the question, you know, would we pray together and would we ask God that he might speak to us in some way to, to give us great insight into how we walk with him and hear his voice in such a noisy world? By the responses uh, through many different ways from you, I think God has answered that prayer in very significant ways. And we want to make sure as we close out today that uh, this pretty much wraps it together where we can understand, okay, now I know this is how I hear the voice of God Here's how I know his will. Uh, This is how I can have great confidence in the wisdom of the direction that's been taken in the decision-making process. So as we walk through this, I decided, well, to kind of summarize it, we got new people here all the time, and uh, maybe I'll just put it in in a number of principles that may be able to kind of summarize everything we've said up to now. If you uh, are a note taker, don't feel like you're not going to have time to do it with these, so you can go to our podcast, go on, go on and they'll have the, the notes there you can take off as well, so these will be there. But I'm going to walk through six principles that I think summarizes very quickly what we've gone over. Number one, in most cases, the most important issue is not what decision we make, but rather are we on or off the altar when we make the decision, referring to Romans 12, the first two verses, and we talk about our lives are living and holy sacrifice. A sacrifice, something that's on the altar. I use that just as an analogy to say we have to get on the altar, and we make our whole life a sacrifice. And when we do, half the battle is won right there. Number two, once on the altar, it is usually common sense and sound reasoning that directs us to his will, not special revealed insights. I think too many of us have probably gone into the, uh, uh, the idea of finding the will of God with the assumption that somehow there's going to be a mystical, amazing new insight, clarity of feeling that's going to hit us so hard. Please don't think it. Can it happen? Yes. Is that the norm? No. I think this would be the norm. Number three, once a decision is made while on the altar, we should never view prosperity as the indicator as to whether we chose the will of God. I've heard a lot of feedback on this one. How many people have come to me saying, of all the years, I've never really heard the thought this, that it's really not, did it go well? Oh, I was in the will of God. The decision I made, oh, such hard implications. I must have missed the will of God. It's not true. And we walk through biblical texts to explain that. And show that. Number four, we know with certainty God's will when made known in the scriptures, but we didn't put a period there. 
We add to that, or by a God-given authority, spent a week teaching texts that brought that to bear upon the realities that God gives us authorities. And we know the will of God through those God-given authorities. Number five, when obeying the will of God found in Scripture, we will always be in the wisdom of God. So you've got the will of God and you've got the wisdom of God. And the point being that when you're in the will of God found in Scripture, made very, very clear in Scripture, then you have found the wisdom of God. They're one and the same. However, number six, when obeying God-given authority, though we will be in the will of God, unless contradicting Scripture, keep that in mind, it is possible at the same time to be out of the wisdom of God. For instance, were we to be in a court case, you have a judge or you have a jury, and they make a decision. Fallible people making decision, and the court rules that you owe X to this particular party and so forth, and you know it's a wrong decision. It's, there's no wisdom in the decision at all. Is it the will of God to obey and follow what the court says according to Scripture? Yes, and we talked about other God-given authorities. So don't think that if you're in the will of God, you're necessarily in the wisdom of God when that direction comes through God-given authorities. Now, we covered all of that through the first three of ten questions. And these ten questions are designed to be able to help us go back, look at the questions, have a big decision, and say, all right, let's walk down through these. Let's answer each one at a time and have great confidence at the end of that that, okay, based on the teachings we've heard and understood, now we can know we have found the will and even the wisdom of God in so many cases. So let's look at the three we've already covered. The three questions, number one, am I willing to obey God's will were it to be made perfectly clear to me? That is the biggest single question. If you can say yes, I know where my heart is. It's on the altar, and I've surrendered, and I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'm telling you, half the battle has been won right there. Number two, what does God's Word say? Deal closed as a Christian. If God's Word says it, then we say, okay, now we know the will of God. Then we just obey. But then number three, what do my God-given authorities say? Now, from this point, we're going to pick up on the final seven. They're going to be very brief. In fact, we'll get out of here probably a little early. But they're very important. I do want you to understand this, particularly you that come in new. I like to think of this entire eight-part sermon as little pieces to one sermon. We've gone deep in the text of Scripture. We've tried to bring out the principles and so forth. These last seven, not in total, but for the most part, are now dealing with the idea of how do we get the greatest confidence that we're in the wisdom of God as well? How do we find that wisdom? So we won't be going as deep into many different texts today, but I'd like for you to view this somewhat as some counsel that's added to what we've been saying already. So with that, let's start with the next Number four reads like this. What does my conscience say? Now, when we talk about conscience, 
We're talking about a God-given voice box that he has placed in his creation. We all have it. It's a voice box that if it is truly used and listened to and so forth, will keep going off. It's in a sense it just buzzes. We hear it. We know it. On the occasions when first we know something is unbiblical and we're perhaps tempted to go in that direction, or number two, we're in a situation where we just hear God saying to us uniquely to other people, no, I don't want you to do that, or yes, I do want you to. Not that I would be telling everybody, but I am letting you know your conscience is saying to you right now that you need to, you shouldn't. That's the conscience. You listen to the conscience. Now, if there is no resistance, it stays so active. But we have to be careful. And young people, I want to say this to you. When that voice goes off, when that box goes off, you listen to it. Even if you find out in time that you've perhaps been a little too restrictive, maybe your conscience has been not schooled quite well enough and things will change over what you feel you can and cannot do as you grow in your faith, you listen to your conscience. Listen to what we read in Romans 14. In the 22nd and 23rd verse, it says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Now, here we're talking about eating of meat sacrificed to idols, which was not wrong in and of itself. But he says, if your conscience says, don't eat, even though it's acceptable to do so, then don't do it. Why? Because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. I want to make a, a distinction here between what I'm going to call conviction and confusion. A conviction. We're talking about something that has to do with moral issues, something that's right or wrong for you to do. Confusion is where you're saying, do I buy this home or do I not buy the home? Do I take the job? Do I not take the job? may have nothing to do with a moral issue. I've heard this when I was a young believer. I've been so thankful for it. Some of my mentors of the faith said, Randy, here it goes. When you doubt, if in doubt, don't. But folks, that only is to be applied to moral issues. If you feel morally something's wrong for you, if you're not sure but you think more, then that's when you say, okay, then I don't. It's not, well, I have doubts. Should I move into this home? Well, I can't move until there's no doubt. That doubt may be there for the rest of your entire experience of trying to determine. And then once you may buy the home, you may have doubts whether you should have bought the home. So doubts are going to be there. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about not confusion, but we're talking about conviction. Kids, young people, when in doubt, don't. That means you're listening to that voice box, and that voice box will stay loud and will stay strong. I know through my lifetime, there have been two episodes that have stood out among all things that I remember deep conviction. I had to do nothing with, with in terms of, uh, of what would be wrong for someone else or, or absolutely somebody else would have to do. None of that. One had to do with an activity on the Lord's Day. 
And I would have never, ever, ever, after coming to the conviction that I shouldn't, I would never have said to anybody, you shouldn't either. Because I knew it had to do with my own conscience, whether schooled well or not, my conscience told me I was not supposed to do that on the Lord's day. And I remember the wrestling match with God because it was something I wanted to do so badly. But I knew God was saying, no, not now at least. The other had to do with a, a choice and direction of my life and how I would spend the next years of my life, what I would be doing. And, and, I, and I knew, I just knew God was saying to me, I want you to go one direction. I knew how badly I wanted to go the other direction. And I can remember when I finally said yes to that voice box that was screaming at me at that time of life. I knew I'd done the right thing and I had such a peace. I would never have said to someone else, you shouldn't do what I chose not to do. So it's unique to each of us as God would, would lead. But listen to the voice box. Listen to A.W. Tozer, as good as they come. He says, I believe that God has related these somehow. Number one, the voice of conviction in the conscience. And number two, the Holy Spirit witnessing within man's being. A person has not been illuminated until that voice begins to sound within him. Men and women need to be told that it may be fatal to silence the inner voice. It's always perilous to resist the conscience within. But it may be fatal to silence that voice, to continue to ignore that speaking voice within. And so keep in mind, what does the conscience say? An important question. You want to listen, answer that one first, okay? Then we move to number five. What would bring the greatest glory to God? Now, if you remember, if you were here during counterfeit voices, as I spoke about the various counterfeit voices that we often hear, I made the point that counterfeit voices are usually self-promoting and they are self-serving most times. When hearing the leading of God, typically, you're going to sense that it's not so self-promoting. You'll say, it really is for the glory of God when you're truly following him. So you ask, well, which brings the most glory? Were I to do this or I to do that? Which would bring the greater glory? Sometimes it may reveal the answer. Sometimes you go, I really don't know. But at least you want to ask that question, which would it be? It's very, very easy to get confused on that which we think is the glory of God and actually what are our personal desires. Uh, some people some people would think, well, I'm, uh, the real reason that I'm getting this nicer, larger, bigger, you know, very expensive home perhaps is because I want to have something I can, be, I can use for God and his kingdom and I can have more people in the house and I can do so and so and so and so, when in reality it has very little to do with that and more about I want a good reason to make me feel good about getting something bigger, better, and so forth. Not that it's wrong to have a big home. Not that it's wrong to have. I'm not saying that at all. But when we start saying, that's why I made the decision, because, well, check it out and make sure that you've discerned between what are personal desires and what really is a sense of belief. This is for the greater glory of God. Same thing in relationships. You young people are choosing who you're going to be with and dating and you're marrying and all of that. And how easy it is to say, well, it's all because of their heart. 
when in reality, you know, it has a whole lot to do with what they look like and this, that, and the other, and it really is not so much about the heart. Don't deceive yourself. Ask, well, is this person, by going out with them, this person that I choose as my spouse, is this going to be the greatest glory of God by getting married versus staying single? Whatever it may be, don't confuse the two is the only point. If it requires self-sacrifice, listen very, very carefully. If the decision promotes greater comfort and pleasure, I would suggest just be careful. Not that God does not want us to have pleasure and delight. Obviously, he does. But be very, very careful. That's why when, when Aaron told me, I said, well, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Minneapolis. I said, well, it's got to be the will of God. Because you actually are going to go to Minneapolis? Why would anybody choose to go to Minneapolis? <laughs> Just made some enemies of people that will hear this from Minneapolis, I guess. But anyway, that's cold there. But he's, you know, there's a good point. When you start saying Hawaii, you go, okay, are you really called there? So just as a rule of direction and thought, just be careful when it promotes great comfort and pleasure. Listen very carefully. If it really is not self-promoting, in fact, maybe bring some sacrifice and challenges. Listen very carefully. Number six. What would best utilize my gifts and abilities? It's an important question. It has significant bearing often in the decisions that we should be making. We know this, God was a good steward of the resources that he had. When you look at, the, look at Paul and his background, interesting, God chose to raise up a man that he would use as a vessel to accomplish his plan. He had to make a choice. Who will do that? He picks a man, Paul, who's got an incredible education, had to be respected intellectually by anybody that would hear him. Here's a man that we know had incredible writing skills and probably great speaking skills, though he didn't see that of himself. You look at Moses. Isn't it interesting that God pulled a man named Moses? And here's Moses who had been trained in Pharaoh's court, the very, very best of preparation for leadership. Here's a man that grew up as a shepherd. Boy, he would need to know the skills and understanding of shepherding. And God says, I've got people prepared, and I'm going to use people according to their skills and their abilities. And so his choice is made with such, shouldn't ours as well? No doubt. If I want to make it very simple, my illustration. If you can't carry a tune, God's not calling you into a music ministry. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, you probably should be a soloist. You can't sing, but why not be a soloist? You'd say, that would be poor stewardship. No, where are you gifted? Where are you? Find that spot, and that's where you want to give yourself. Number seven, what would provide the greatest opportunity to serve, demonstrate good stewardship, and exhibit the most aggressive faith? So there are just three questions wrapped up in that one. Okay, Lord, which one of these decisions, which way, if I have a choice here, which would give me the best opportunity to serve? Which would give me the greatest opportunity to steward, not just my money, but my time and resources, and 
what would be the best use? This decision or that decision? Which one is going to arouse my faith to strength and growth personally? Where is there, a, is there one versus the other? Maybe or maybe not. So we want to ask the question, what really provides the greatest opportunity for those three things? Number eight, what do wise, insightful, and godly people say? Now, this is an important one. As a good rule of thumb, the bigger the decision, the greater the need for counsel. Perhaps it's always wise for any decision of any size to get counsel, but the bigger it gets, for sure, the greater the need for counsel. Not just one person, but two, three, four, five, a multitude of counsel. In fact, I'm going to just quickly read five statements that come out of Proverbs. There are five Proverbs that have to do with counsel. Uh, what do you think this author of Scripture believed? Proverbs 14, 11, verse 14 where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Chapter 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Chapter 19, 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Last one, chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Pretty obvious, the importance of good counsel. Now, what happens if you've gone through these eight, and you've done all the questions, and you've looked at them, and you come and you say, you know what, I honestly can say, I have no idea what to choose. I am as equal, I'm on the altar, I know that, and I've listened to everything, I've done all these questions. I just, I have no idea what's the best thing to do. What I would suggest is then, that's when you ask these last two questions. Number nine would be, what do my circumstances tell me? Now you want to look at circumstances. And as a rule of thumb, the more major the decision the less weight you put on circumstances. Usually, you want your circumstances to somewhat confirm a sense of direction you're already leaning toward, and maybe it shows you, yes, this probably is the best thing. But be very careful because circumstances can easily be misleading. Now, in saying that, let me say that if your circumstances in some way are going to impact your choice by the fact that it's rushed and you need to make the decision immediately, your circumstances say, I don't know what to do, I'm really concerned, I haven't really, but your circumstances say, got to make the decision right now, that would be a good time to step back and say, probably not best. I know when we were with kids uh, buying cars, it would be such a, an easy thing. Back then, you just had the Either you go to a, a car dealership or you, you just looked in the paper. It's all the options you had then. And so, and so because it's an old used car, usually they're getting as a first car. All right, well, let's look in the paper. And there you see, oh, I found it. There it is. That's a, that's a great one. That's what I need right now. Well, we can't go to tomorrow. But the car's going to be gone tomorrow. Well, if, if it means that you have to rush to do it, 
then they say, well, maybe we ought to hold off on that. But just as a rule of thumb only, just be cautious on that. If your choice puts other people at risk, then I would say lean the other direction. Lean the other direction. Now, assume you're through the nine, and I mean from counsel to circumstances, everything. I mean, you go, I just can't tell which to do. I have no idea. This is where you call in the tiebreaker. And the tiebreaker, I think, would be this. What is my heart's desire? What do I really want to do in this situation? Listen to Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you notice that that verse doesn't just say, God will give you the desires of your heart? There's a lot being taught like that right now. Right now, there's a lot going across the discussions about uh, one Christian leader who has made the comment that, hey, it's not about the glory of God. It's, it's really more about what makes you happy. Well, God is certainly most glorified when we are most satisfied. Is there reality to that? That's John Piper who always makes that great statement. Yes, but the satisfaction is not in things and circumstances. It's talking about our satisfaction in Him. And so the point is, is when you can say, okay, I'm delighting myself in Him. That really is. I'm here giving glory to Him. That's what I'm all about. I really care for Him, His glory, and so forth. He says, then watch your heart's desire, how God loves to give it to you. Sure He does. In fact, there's another text Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 it says for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure not just to work but to will to give us give us the heart to do that I'm really I, I, when I talked to Aaron I said Aaron tell me honestly do you really want to go to Minneapolis do you want to do that yeah I really do I think it's where we're supposed to be I really want to I said, well, you know, that's the amazing work of God. I don't know how that happens, but good. You're there. It says a lot. In other words, wouldn't it be a little unusual for you to counsel somebody? I know that you really don't really care to be with that person, and I realize that you're not really attracted to that person, and I realize, but I really think you should marry them. No. I don't think that would be norm. And so the point is, there comes a place where you say, Okay, what is my heart's desire? What is it? I would say this. If you come to the end of the 10, and maybe you say, even my heart's desire, I could do either. I don't really care. I don't really have a desire, one over the other. For goodness sake, flip a coin at that point. <laughs> I mean, does it really matter? I don't think it matters at all. But I'll say this, when you have come to the point and you can say, I know I'm on the altar, I know I'm not going against the word of God, I'm not going against God-given authority, I've gone through this list, I don't really have, I don't know which to do. When you make a decision, you just remember this, don't forget it, you're in the will of God and you have every confidence to believe you're in the wisdom of God. But please don't believe, we said it many times, please don't believe your circumstances 
post-decision will determine whether you were in the will of God, whether you were in the wisdom of God. Because God's greatest plan for his people often takes us through the deepest valleys. And it's not his will to remove the valleys. It's where the great growth of the heart, it's where we meet our Savior, it's where we depend upon him more than any other place in life. So we can trust and rest. No remorse in decision making. When you've walked through the plan, you said, as far as I know, I think I'm meeting what God wants to make a decision. We'll close with this for the final time. Can't get in the will of God. You cannot, in any form or fashion, get up on the altar until you and I have first embraced Christ getting on the altar for us. You see, this is not about decision-making using the brightness of our mind and using the strength of our will to do whatever we think is right. The truth of it is we don't have the moral ability to get up on the altar. We don't have the moral ability to win the pleasure of our Christ and our God, the Father, because of what we've done. It's only because of what he's done on our behalf. And so that's why I don't care if it's discovering the will of God or whatever it is, everything takes you back to the cross because he's the one that enables and empowers you to do the right things for the right reasons. But I'll tell you this, when you go to the cross and you meet him, and by going to the cross for you that are trying to search out the faith, know this, it's going to see what has he done on behalf of broken sinful people like you and me. He went to Calvary's cross, he paid the penalty of death so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our own death, assuming we come into his family. And then what he's done is for all of his family, and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. That's the beauty of going to the cross. And then once you have gone to the cross, you keep Christian, keep going back to see what he's done, because you got to keep in mind, it's not now willpower that's going to win the battle of the day. It's going to be his power in us, and that's the Holy Spirit. That means that we have to be on the altar. How do we get the power to get on the altar to begin with? It's by his power within us. That altar is too high, too steep, we could never climb it. But by his power indwelling us, we have the ability to do that. That's the good news of what's called the gospel. Always go back and remember, he went on the altar so that we can get on the altar, that we can be forgiven and we can be in the will of God. I think you take these little principles, keep them close at hand, and I bet you're going to find that you're walking in the heart of the middle of God's will and even in his wisdom. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, that's our request, that you would enable us to meet you at the cross, that many here through this series that say, I don't know that I'm in the family of you, our God. I want to know. I want to know there's a love relationship. I want to know that there's a heart to follow. Would you give that to me now, Lord, I ask? And for those of us that are already your children, we would say, God, forgive us for trying to climb our way on the altar without looking to you. 
Forgive us for our failure for even getting on the altar and making many life decisions that have brought brokenness and pain. Forgive us for what we've done. And thank you for what we now know about your will and discovering it and your wisdom. Lord, would you take us right in the middle of it, and particularly all of us right now that are trying to make hard decisions between big choices of life, give us great peace in what we do and then great confidence once the decision is made that we're right where you want us. We love you. And we thank you in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.